Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Mark. The Gospel Record of Mark in chapter number 11. We are now working with Jesus Christ, walking with Him through the Gospel Record of Mark, and we have entered what is called the Passion Week, the last week of Jesus Christ on His way to the cross. And this morning we observe Jesus Christ, His triumphant entry into Jerusalem, on that Sunday. Now we come to the next day, Monday, <coughs> March 27th, AD 30, to go ahead and see what Jesus Christ is going to do on this next day. During this Passion Week, we're going to witness Jesus Christ and his actions as we go through the Gospel record of Mark and what he does during these days leading up to the death on the cross. If you wouldn't mind, look with me in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 11. The gospel record of Mark chapter number 11. And notice with me, if you don't mind, starting at verse number 12. The gospel record of Mark chapter 11. And in verse number 12, the Bible says this. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And when they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple, and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priest heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Mark chapter number 11? The gospel record of Mark chapter 11, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 17, where he says, my house my house. And with the Lord's help as we walk with Jesus Christ and we see what is happening here on this next day, we can see that Jesus Christ is putting an emphasis here on my house. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And I thank you that we could come up and open up your word and that we have the freedom to do so now. We're asking that you would give them the wisdom and discernment to open up your Bible, that this may be a help. I'm asking that as much of a responsibility as I have to be a spirit-filled preacher, these good folks have the responsibility of being spirit-filled listeners. 
So the best I know how, I surrender myself. And on behalf of these good folks, as we go up together to you to the throne room of grace, that they would reckon themselves dead, dead to their ambitions, their desires, their goals, and that they would be attentive and ready to receive what you would have for them to do. Again, we must have your power, and we're asking that your Holy Spirit would be here and present, and that you would do a work that we couldn't even describe, but we would know that you did something. Thank you again for who you are, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As Jesus Christ is entering the Passion Week, the very first uh, day that we saw was on Sunday, and Jesus Christ made his triumphant entry. He went back to where he was staying in Bethany, and now on the second day, him and his disciples are beginning that next day, a Monday, if we're going to an actual calendar date to what our date is, the historical date, would be Monday, March 27th of AD 30. And the reason why I'm putting the emphasis on this date is to remind you that this is historical. This isn't something that was made up. This event really happened. And so if you don't mind, as we explore as Jesus is placing an emphasis on his house, we're going to see that there are some things that Jesus expects. Now before we start, I want to remind you that Psalm 127 and verse number 1 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. And the Bible is very clear that it is God's house. When Jesus talked to the disciples, Jesus told Peter, he says, upon this rock, and he's pointing to himself, I will build my house. So Jesus is very clear that says he will build his house. He didn't say you will build my house. He didn't say I will build your house or you will build your house. Jesus said, I will build my house. Now, if we're going to trust God to build his own house, there are certain things that we ought to do in obedience to him so he can build his house. And so because of that, there are certain things that Jesus expects. And if we're looking at what Jesus expects, that should be some things that cause us to pay attention because he's looking at us. What are some things that Jesus expects from us as he builds his house. Notice, if you don't mind, the very first thing I want to bring your attention is that Jesus expects fruit. Jesus expects fruit. Notice with me, if you don't mind, as we pick up this account in the gospel record of Mark chapter 11, and notice with me in verse 12, the gospel record of Mark chapter 11 and verse 12. And on the morrow, so on Monday, where we're going from, and on the morrow, when they came from Bethany, he, that's Jesus, was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves, he came. If happily, or by chance, by happenstance, he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for the time of figs was not yet. So Jesus Christ comes out. He's with his disciples. And he's hungry. Remember, he's 100% God. But he is also in an earthly body. And his body got weary. His body got tired. He even got hungry. And so now he's hungry. And he's looking. Trying to see if there's something to eat. And one of the staples in that land was figs. And so he came to a fig tree. And he saw this fig tree with beautiful leaves, and he began to examine it for fruit. And as he looked, he parted the leaves and looked a little bit more, 
and nothing but leaves, no fruit on it. Now someone may say, well wait a second, doesn't the end of the verse there say for the time of figs was not yet? What this is referring to is a time period and the figs are harvested through March or through that April time frame. And when it says that the time of figs is not come yet, what it's referring to is the final harvest. That in that area there, they would have their harvest time in the what we would call spring and their planting season would be in the fall. It kind of works differently. And so during this time here, figs should already be on the tree and they should be ripened, preparing for that final harvest. But when Jesus went to investigate this fig tree, he found no fruit. Plenty of leaves. It looked good. There was a lot of good things to look at, but there was no fruit. And so what does Jesus do when he sees this? Verse 14. And Jesus answered and said to it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard that. Now this is going to come into play uh, the next day, which we'll cover on Wednesday. But Jesus puts a curse on this fig tree because it bore no fruit. Because it had the lack of fruit. Now, the proper interpretation of this, the director interpretation, is that the fig tree is often pictured as the nation of Israel. And as he's looking at this fig tree as a picture, he looks at this fig tree, there is no fruit of Israel, and he pronounces a destruction, a judgment upon it. By the way, this is the only destructive miracle that Jesus ever did in his earthly body that was recorded. The only destructive. The rest of them were healing miracles or natural miracles, miracles that made things better. This was his only destructive miracle. And of course, this did come to pass that Israel, because it did not bear fruit, it did not follow after Jesus, it did not accept what Jesus taught, there was a judgment pronounced. And in 70 AD, by the Roman uh, general Titus, it, uh, Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple wiped out, destroyed again. And Jesus pronounces judgment. However, we can also apply a principle here. Remember, we're putting emphasis on God's house. And here we could see a principle that God expects to see fruit. God expects to see fruit. And one day, Jesus is going to inspect us for fruit. And if he does not find fruit... We are going to be judged for that. Now the judgment that Christians will face will not be descent to hell. But the judgments that Christians face, what am I being by Christian? For those who recognize that they're a sinner and because of their sin that they have offended a holy righteous God and they deserve to go to hell. But Jesus paid the price and they came to the place where they personally accepted Jesus as their savior. Once someone has done that, they'll never owe God the price of hell ever again. However, Every Christian will stand before God and we will be judged for the fruit in our life. For what has done in our body, both good and bad. The Bible gives a picture in the book of Corinthians that everything that we ever do as a Christian is going to be piled up. Everything. And then it's going to be put ablaze. It's going to be put on fire. And only those things that we did for the Lord are going to last. 
And so someone may say, look at this. I got a big pile. Look at how big this pile is. Look at all the stuff I did. And in one moment, your entire life judged and everything wiped out. And look and said, I have nothing left. There's a lot of folks that do a lot of good things. However, we neglect it for the best things. Now, we need to define our terms. We don't need to speak in generalities. The Bible talks about fruit. Well, there's a law in science and that's in the Bible called the law of biogenesis. You say, well, that's a cool name. The law of biogenesis. What does that mean? It means that everything reproduces after its own kind. Well, that makes sense. Everything reproduces after its own kind. For example, I have a cat. And if my cat was to reproduce after itself, I'm going to get the next time it reproduces a dog. Is that how that works? No. Everything reproduces after its own kind. Let's say that I had an apple tree in my yard. If I had an apple tree and it grew up and it began to reproduce after itself, am I going to get oranges from it? No. Because everything reproduces after its own kind. That's the law of biogenesis. Well, if God is looking for the fruit of a Christian, what is the fruit that he produces? Well, remember, we can only reproduce of our own kind. So a Christian reproduces other Christians. Now, we can't save anybody, but we can be used to lead someone to the Lord. That is our only job as Christians. That is the whole reason why we exist once you get saved. That's the reason why once you accept Jesus as your Savior, you don't, don't pop off to heaven. God left us here for one reason and one reason alone. That is to accomplish the Great Commission. To reach people with the gospel, then teach those people how to do the same thing. And that is the fruit that we're going to be judged by. Now remember, Jesus does the saving. So we're not responsible for how many people get saved. We're responsible by how much of the gospel we gave out. How many people have you brought to the Lord? How many people have you brought to, uh, to hear the gospel? That is what we're responsible for. What have you done to help get the gospel out? That is the responsible. And that is what we are to be looking at. There is a lot of people who do good things. But the good is often the enemy of best. There are a lot of Christians who do good things. They send out medicine to those that need medicine. They set up soup kitchens. They set up um, um, uh, missions. They set up things for the homeless. And those are good things. But they are not the things that God has given us to do. Now you say that doesn't sound popular. All I'm saying is that Jesus is going to judge us by our fruits. Now if you have those things. And are using them as a tool to reach other people. Then they are valid. But then in himself do not justify themselves. Everything we do is for this one thing. And that is to accomplish the great commission. There are many people who are saved. They lived all of their life. But they didn't lead one single person to the Lord. And everything they did in their life. You said, but God, I did good things. But it's not what he asked us to do. 
And you're going to stand before a holy God with all of your works burnt away. Then you're going to enter into what is called the millennial kingdom. And for a thousand years, your responsibilities during that millennial kingdom is going to be based on how obedient was you to the great commission of reaching people with the gospel and then discipling them. That is what God has given us to do. Now, this is important to say because, again, Christians are involved in a lot of good things. But the good is the enemy of the best. Even worse, there are Christians who don't try to do anything to witness to someone of the Lord. You say, but I'm nervous. I I just don't know what to say. Well, praise the Lord, we got an answer for that. That we have soul winning. And then at soul winning, what we do is we meet together. And we give instruction on how to talk to someone, how to lead them to the Lord, how to work with someone, how to answer objections, how to pray for and how to be a silent partner. We train you. That's something we have here. And then we go out. You say, but I've never gone out before. Well, praise the Lord. You get to be a silent partner. We won't even make you speak. You could go alongside with someone who knows what they're doing. And you could be the person that's praying, God, please work. God, please work. Open the door. And we can help you go out. This is what everyone is supposed to do. Beyond that, every Christian is supposed to be discipled. What is discipleship? Discipleship is developing the habit of obedience to Christ. That everything we do in the Christian life is habits. You get in the habit of reading your Bible. You get in the habit of praying. You get in the habit of going to church. And what discipleship does is it provides accountability. It's like going to the gym. And when you go to the gym, it's much easier to consistently go to the gym if you have someone going with you than trying to go yourself and keep yourself motivated. And so that's something we do here too, is that we disciple someone and help them develop the habit of obedience to Christ so that way they can teach someone else how to follow the Lord. This is the only thing that God has given the church to do is to accomplish the Great Commission. And because it's the only thing that God has given us to do, this is what we're judged about, how well we were obedient to following after what God has given us to do. You could give money to the Red Cross and praise the Lord for it, but that doesn't count for eternity. You could help soup kitchens and you should, but that doesn't count for eternity. What does count for eternity is accomplishing the great commission of the fruit. Remember the <laughs> law of biogenesis, every organism reproduces after itself. You know, there's a second thing of nature that we understand dealing with fruit. Every healthy organism reproduces itself. Every healthy organism reproduces itself. And so for someone who has not reproduced themselves, you are not healthy. If you have a couple that are trying to have kids, that's because there's something medically wrong if they're not able to have to it. Every healthy organism reproduces itself. That's a law in science. And that's what God is expecting. If we are healthy, we are going to be reproducing himself. Now, we make things easy here. Now, not only do we have a place set up where you can learn how to tell someone about the Lord, not only do we have discipleship set off, but we have cool things called tracks. And we have a bunch on the back table back there. We will never run out of tracks here as long as I am pastor. We will find something. You say, what do I do with this? Well, this little piece of paper fits anywhere. 
when you mail off a bill, put it in there. Don't those bill collectors need to get saved? Come to know Christ as their Savior? I know someone that what they do is they go to the grocery store. They take off a piece, uh, box of cereal and they put in a track in its place. Why not? I know someone that they say, well, I'm really shy. But what he does is he goes to the doctor. And every time he goes to the doctor, he puts tracks inside of the magazine. So when people look to the magazines, why not? We have, we had people who said, well, I'm, I'm a not healthy enough. I cannot physically go knock on doors or talk to someone. And so you know what they do? They have written out their personal testimony of how they came to know the Lord, handwritten it, and they mail it off. Praise the Lord. That's a great thing. And because I've given that testimony, others have picked that up. You're trying to reach people with the Lord, trying to do what you can, trying to do something. Everybody you meet is either going to heaven or going to hell. And God has placed us here to warn them. Now it's Jesus that does the saving. But our responsibility is to bear fruit. Our responsibility is to be obedient to the things that God has given us to do. So we could reproduce ourselves. And the law of biogenesis. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And a Christian can only reproduce other Christians. That's what God has given us to do. And one day, without a doubt, the Bible is clear. We will be judged based off of our fruit. Our obedience to Christ. It's going to be exposed and shown. And like this fig tree, it had lots of leaves. It looked good, but it didn't bear any fruit. And because of that, the tree was sentenced and judged. And by the way, we'll look at that judgment on Wednesday. So as we start off, Jesus is making an emphasis on his house. And we know that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And because of that, we know that there are certain things that Jesus expects. That first of all, Jesus expects fruit. Jesus expects fruit. A second thing that Jesus expects is Jesus expects prayer. Jesus expects prayer. Notice with me in verse number 15. And they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that had sold and brought in the temple and overthrew the tables of money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. Now this is an important site. Now, at the temple, people would come once a year to offer their sacrifices. And because many of them would be traveling from a distance, you don't want to be hauling a big cow behind you. You don't want to be hauling a turtle dove or a lamb. And so what they did is they tried to make things easier and that people started across the street that said, hey, you're going to go to the temple? You need a lamb? We'll sell you a lamb right here. Well, that sounds pretty good. But then they moved closer. Well, we need more convenience. So they moved into what was called the court of the Gentiles. And they set up comrades there. Now, the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be a place where the Gentiles could come and give their prayer request. We'll give more about that in a second. But instead of that, it becomes a place of a bazaar, a comrades. It's a marketplace where all kinds of market things are going on. And you say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Well, 
in itself, it may not sound bad. In a logical thing, it may sound as an idea. However, many people of that culture believed it was all right to cheat someone as long as you could get away with it. And so they would rig up their balances. So instead of saying it was one pound, it was technically only half a pound, but they charged you as if a pound. And they would do different weights and measures. As long as they could get away with it, that's what they would try to do. So now it started off with a good idea that someone who was traveling needed something. Then it moved into the temple area, into the court of the of the Gentiles, and now inside of the place where God said, this is my house, there are people that are cheating others and purposely messing things up. And then someone traveled afar and they've jacked up the prices so high and they've made it so that way it's a den of thieves that the people are trying to steal and get away from it and take advantage of people who are just trying to come and worship and make things easier. And when Jesus went in and he saw all of this, he began to chase them off. Someone said this, whenever you want to ask what Jesus would do, remember flipping tables is an option. Jesus went in there and he began to chase them out. And he is not happy. Now, they ran. Now, I made mention of this before, that Jesus was a man-man, and this is one of the evidences, that if you had some wimpy little guy, guys, stop it! No, I shouldn't do this, I'm going to tell. They would just remove that person. But when Jesus came in and started flipping tables and chasing them out, they're running away because they don't want him to get a hold of them. Jesus was a man-man. And he goes in there and he begins to chase them off. And he is not happy, not one little bit. And he wouldn't let anybody bring anything else in. He cleared house. Now, if you can imagine a big bazaar, a marketplace, and Jesus chases them all out. By the way, he's going to die in a couple days, but he made sure that he cleaned out the temple and chased them all away. And this is what he said about this whole matter. Verse number 17. And he taught. Now think about that. He chases everyone out and then takes the time to teach his disciples when he does it. He taught saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus is teaching as he's casting everyone out. And he's teaching in the principle that this was supposed to be a place where people around the world could come and they could get a hold of some people who knew how to get a hold of God. Basically, the Hebrew people, they had a come to salvation, meaning that people came to them and said, your God is real. Let's give a prayer request. May I tell you that one of the number one ways we could prove to a lost and dying world that our God is real is by answer prayer. Our God is able This is why we should be gathering prayer requests. We should be asking our neighbors how we could pray for them. And we should be praying for them ourselves. We should be a type of people who know how to get a hold of God. Could you honestly say that? How many answers to prayer have you had lately? Or at all? Are you even praying? We should be a type of people that are seeing prayers answered 
all the time. And by the way, we have. Our church has seen amazing prayers answered. And we're planning on seeing even more. The best days are still ahead. We can look forward to seeing what God's going to do. But we should be known as a praying people. We should be known. Those are the people that pray. The last place I pastored, and if you could forgive the personal illustration, we set this same thing up there. And that we were, <laughs> people started to say, oh, I know that church. That's the guy with the praying pastor. Well, you could be known for worse things, couldn't you? Hey, that's the guy who knows how to pray. That's the church that's always asking for prayer requests. Well, good, that's what we should be known for. We should be known, that's the people that get a hold of God. I've given this illustration before, uh, the last place that I pastored, that uh, we taught our people how to go out and ask for prayer requests, and we take the prayer request and we pray for them. We had a, a gentleman that I ran into, and he said, oh, you had some of your church folks come and see me last year. He said, I had a house that I'd been trying to sell for five years, and the church folks came, and they prayed, and within a month, the house was sold. And when I came in uh, that next year, he was ready to come to know Christ as Savior because he saw that God was real and he was willing to respond to that God. Jesus said we should be a house of prayer. How are we going to tell this world that's antagonistic? How are we going to prove to them that what we say is true? It's not by doing our opinions and it's not by Facebook post. It's going to be by showing them that God answers prayer. I was reading in my files of a court case in Texas where there was a church right next to a bar and the church said, we want to get rid of the bar. We're going to pray. God, do something to the bar. And a natural thing occurred or an accident occurred and the bar burnt down. And so the bar owner who knew that the church was praying for his bar to get burnt down sued the church. And they said, they prayed for my, church, my bar to burn down. They prayed for it and I'm suing them. And you know what the church folks did? It wasn't us. We didn't do it. Not at all. And the judge says, what am I supposed to do? Here I have a church that doesn't believe that God answers prayer. And I have a bar owner that does. You know, they would have been better off by owning that and saying, yes. Ah, but that word sued came in. We have a God who hears and answers prayer. And the world needs to know our God does hear and answer prayer. That's what we should be known for. We shouldn't be known for white elephant cells. We should not be known, well, that's where people gather and eat food. That shouldn't be a place, oh, well, those are the people that are so kind. And, you know, that's not a bad thing. We should be known that's a church that knows how to get a hold of God. The revivalist Charles Finney, who was uh, one of the sparks for the second Great Awakening. He was a lawyer and uh, he lived right next to a church. And that church had a bunch of people that could not get a hold of God. They would pray, nothing would happen. They would play church. Uh, they would show up, sing songs and go back to uh, lives that were not holy and were not right. And they would come to him every now and again and said, we're praying for you, Finney. He says, don't even bother. Your God doesn't answer prayers. Isn't that a horrible testimony for a lost person to say, your God doesn't answer prayers. I've been watching. He hasn't answered any of them. Well, later on, Charles Finney, who was a lawyer, and back then lawyers were required to study the law book. 
He was in the field and reading the Bible for himself. He came to know Christ as his Savior. And one of the things he tried to teach, there was a God who could hear and answer prayer. And you could go to him and watch God work. And that's the testimony we should have. What a horrible testimony if our community said, no, their God, their God doesn't answer their prayers. That's a horrible testimony. But instead, the opposite should be true. We should be known as a house of prayer. That people who have prayer requests, and by the way, you have people that work with you, that watch you. They may say they're atheists. They may say they're agnostic. They may say that they're nothing. But when something happens, they'll pull you aside and say, can you pray for me? That should be the testimony we have. That they come to you. And when God works in their life and answers their prayer, then you'll have an easier time telling them about the gospel. Telling them because they see that we are a people who get a hold of our God and our God is real. Our God is real. And so when Jesus here is putting an emphasis on his house, the first thing we see is that Jesus expects fruit. He expects fruit and one day there will be an inspection on your life on how well you are bearing fruit. We also see that Jesus expects prayer. That his house should be known as a house of prayer. That the Riverview Baptist Church should be known in the community as a place that gets a hold of God and they answer our prayers. But there's a third thing I'd like to show you from this text. That not only does Jesus expect fruit. Not only does Jesus expect prayer. But Jesus expects persecution. Jesus expects persecution. Notice with me in verse 18. So after Jesus chased out the money changers. He probably was not the most popular person in Jerusalem. Notice with me in verse 18. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. So we could see on this day here, Jesus chased them off and the people were upset. They ruined their trade. They ruined their religious ceremonies. They're ruining everything. And they were upset. And you know what? Jesus gives us a promise in the Bible. It says, Yea, all them that will live godly shall suffer persecution. You know, that's just as much of a promise as John 3.16. You say, well, I don't want to suffer that. I don't want to go through those things. Well, then do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. But as one of my favorite preachers, Curtis Hudson, said, As long as they're kicking you in the rear, you know you got the lead. If you are doing right, there are going to be people that are upset. There are going to be people that don't like you. There are going to be some people. One of we, the problems we're living in in a world that everyone's offended over everything. And that includes Christians. I'm afraid of what they're going to say about me. I'm afraid of what they're going to think about me. Well, more importantly is what he thinks about us. And yes, if we go witness to someone, there are some people that are not going to like it. I get phone calls from time to time. Can you please ask your folks not to leave a track on our house? And I will write down their address and try to remember that when we knock on the street to avoid that one. I have no problems with it. The problem is I don't know when they're going to move. And we need to make sure we get the new people in there. There was a time a lady called and said, Pastor... 
I just wanted you to know what some of your young people, some of your young teenagers were here and they were knocking on doors and you know what they asked me? They asked me, did I know for sure that if I die today that I go to heaven? And I'm sure that you wanted to know what your teenagers were doing. And I'm sure that you're concerned over this. And I just, uh, I just didn't want them to get in trouble and they offend people. I said, I am so glad you brought that to my attention. Because I do want to know what the teenagers are doing. And by the way, I got a question for you. Are you 100% sure if you die today you go to heaven? And I got a click and a hang up. Of course there's not going to be people. Who are going to be happy. But Jesus is the one that we're supposed to please. In fact. Not that you're trying to make enemies. But the more people that are mad at you. Must mean that you're trying to do something right. If you're trying to follow the Lord. You're not going to please everyone. And as long as you're a people pleaser. You're not going to go forward for the Lord. You have to be willing to pay a price. You have to understand that it comes with it. There is a price to pay. There is no easy way to serve God. We're just supposed to be obedient. I have a lady at Menards. I seem to get her in line every time. I, re- I passed her out a track once. Forgive the personal illustrations, but uh, I passed her out a track once. And I said, I just want to know how I could pray for you. And she started yelling at me. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I was just trying to be a blessing, not a big deal. Well, I ran into her again. Same lady. Well, it's my habit to pass out tracks to everyone. So, you know, I just want to know how I could pray for you. She was so mad, she chased me outside the door and was yelling at me. And I still seem to get in her line. She's used to me now. I think she got yelled at the last time she was yelling at me out the door, following after me. But again, I'm not trying to offend her. There's going to be one day where something's going wrong and she's going to need someone to tell her and give her comfort. And we have to be available for it. Not everyone's going to receive the news, but because they don't wear signs that said, hey, I'll receive a track. We got to tell them all. And again, it's going to take courage. It's going to take bravery. And some of it's getting in the habit of doing it. I have a good preacher friend of mine. He's an evangelist. He travels around the world. He's an author now. And he says, I am frightened to death every time I knock on my first door. He said, every week, I know I'm going to do it, but that first door, I'm scared. Then after that, I get over it. You're just going to have to develop the habit of doing it. The habit of following after the Lord and going. And we all need that courage and bravery, but there are going to be people that are not going to like it. As long as you know it up front, you can deal with it. I'm going to follow after God. And there are going to be people that don't like us. There are going to be people who, who don't like the stands of our church. And we're not trying to be mean. We're not going to be unlovely. We're just going to tell people this is what the Bible says. And we're going to try to do what's right. We're coming in a time in America where maybe even some of the things that we preach here are going to be illegal. They're already illegal in Canada. What are we going to do? We're going to keep doing what's right. We explained this morning in Sunday school that there's countries like Uzbekistan that if you're found with an Uzbek Bible, that's three years in prison. You say, you think that's going to happen in America? Yeah. A couple years ago, I thought it wasn't going to be in my lifetime. Today, it's probably up there. It's already at the place in California where they have laws passed that are on the very edge that say the Bible cannot be sold. 
we're getting to a place now. You're going to have to learn to stand now while you can. Because it's going to be a lot harder in a few short years. I wish I didn't have to say that. But now is the time to develop the habit of following after God. Now is the time to say, I'm going to be willing to suffer. You know, what's the worst they could do to us now? Get yelled at? Get a phone call? That's fine. Your phone number is not on the track. <laughs> they call me. I deal with it. No problem. Well, I've been shot at before. It's not the first time. What are they going to do? Give me a shortcut to glory? You just follow after the Lord. Know that it's going to come. But Jesus is teaching us a principle here to expect persecution. That if we're going to be the house that God expects us to be, that God, Jesus expects a couple things. He expects fruit. He expects prayer. prayer then he expects persecution. He said, this is my house. Unless, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. And in order for God to build the house, we're just supposed to be obedient servants, recognizing that it's him that does it. We're just supposed to say yes to whatever he tells us to do. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.